He's launched. He's got it on line. Young big fly. Great grab. It's taken every ounce of the old heave But the Dockers have done it. Firstly, before we begin this episode, I would like to apologize to the fans, my followers, and more importantly, my listeners. After getting so excited by the season that was 2022, I let the success of the Dockers completely blind me. And because of that, I became extremely arrogant, tipping Fremantle to not only finish in the top four, but to also win the premiership. And for that, I apologize due to the influence I could have had on some Frio fans, and making them believe that we were a genuine premiership contender. I've come to the realization that we are completely off the mark, and I promise for the rest of the year, I will never mention Flag Mantle again on this podcast. Even if we somehow, miraculously, on God's green earth, actually won the premiership, you will never hear me say Flag Mantle for the rest of the year. So consider this me putting the final nail in the coffin for hashtag Flag Mantle 2023. Just two rounds into the season, and I announce that Flag Mantle, at least for this year, is officially dead. So with that apology out of the way, let's actually get into the episode. The Dockers were defeated at Optus Stadium 10-12-72 to 11-7-73 by the reigning back-to-back wooden spooners. I mean, is there anything more I can really say than that? That sentence right there perfectly captures just how depressing the last two weeks has been for Freo fans and just how far back we've gone as a football club. I mean, we've absolutely smashed North Melbourne the last three times we've played them at Optus Stadium. Smashed. Round 1, 2019. Frio win by 82 points. Round 17, 2022. This game wasn't even at Optus Stadium. Frio win by 64 points. Round 6, 2021 at Optus Stadium. Frio win by 51 points. 2022, round 8, Frio win by 78 points. And now, round 2, 2023, Fremantle lose by 1 point. So, in the opening two games of the 2023 AFL season, we've lost to a Saints team that wasn't even a Saints team, and a North Melbourne team that has finished at the bottom of the ladder for the last two seasons. And this isn't like what West Coast had last year, where there were reasons and explanations to why they were so poor. They had all the COVID concerns at the start of the season, as well as injuries to some of their most pivotal players. But Fremantle don't have that excuse. There hasn't been a single COVID concern since the start of the season, and not just for Fremantle, but for the entire competition, which is definitely a good thing, don't get me wrong. And the only major injury that we have on our list is Travis Collier, who's out for six weeks due to knee surgery, and Nat Fife, which we'll touch on in a second. So not only has our game plan, our players, and our coaching staff been poor, but we don't even have a reasonable explanation as to why this is. Most people so far have been pointing towards the forward line, which is completely reasonable, and trust me, we'll get to that in a second. But our midfield has been just as bad. Brayshaw, Sarong, and Will Brody have all completely fallen off. Like, seriously, I have no idea where Will Brody has gone. Sarong, sure, is still putting up impressive numbers, 
but he's not doing anything useful with the footy. Do you guys remember when Caleb Sarong used to actually hit a target inside forward 50? Because I certainly do. Brayshaw has slipped a little bit, especially compared to his form last year. But then again, he was the only docker to actually show some passion in the first half. If we're losing the footy contestedly by a midfield that contains Luke Davies Uniac, Jai Simkin and Ben Cunnington, if that's the midfield that is making us second guess ourselves, that is a major red flag and it was one in the coaches boxes, both Aish and Swikowski were thrown into the midfield, which to be fair we did expect from the preseason games. Bailey Banfield was our second best contested player for the whole game. Bailey Banfield was our second best contested player. Are you starting to see why this is so frustrating? Look, we'll go more in depth about this in the match review and we still have the entire Docker recap to go through. So I'll end this little part by saying this. There is a quote that I feel perfectly captures where us as fans and the Dockers are at. And it goes something along the lines of, the good thing about hitting rock bottom, there's only one way left to go and that's up. Unless Justin Longmuir gives in to his villain arc and the Dockers intentionally try to play worse than they already are now, it cannot possibly get any more depressing than it is now. And I really, really hope that sentence doesn't age poorly. So with that being said, let's get into this week's Docker recap. Nat Fife will miss next Sunday's derby with a foot injury that saw him withdrawn from Saturday's clash with North Melbourne. JL expects Nat Fife to spend a fortnight on the sidelines, meaning Fife is set to miss both the derby and Fremantle's round four clash with Adelaide. The Dockers gather round clash with Gold Coast at Norwood Oval on Friday the 14th of April, looms likely as his return date. JL has spoken up on Nat Fife's unfair criticism after his poor round one performance against St Kilda, saying, It's incredibly unfair the way he comes under the spotlight. After the preseason, I heard he was going to kick 50 plus goals. Then after one game, he's criticised as the worst experiment of all time. And that finishes up this week's Docker recap. Only a small amount of Docker news for this week because most of the attention has been deprived towards the final decision at the end of the game. But don't worry, we'll go far more in depth about that decision in a later segment. There it is. Game's over. <laughs> the game's called. The Kangaroos wow. have come and they have stunned the Fremantle Dockers in the West. You know how I said after our loss to St Kilda that I said I thought Frio would improve next week against North Melbourne. Well, imagine if Frio reviewed the match against St. Kilda, saw everything they did wrong, and said, hey, let's do that again, but a million times worse. You basically get our performance against North Melbourne. Like, I don't know where to start. There is so much to analyse and talk about and discuss and to rip apart from this performance that I genuinely don't know where I'm supposed to start. I guess the only way to truly go on about this is to start from the back line, go to the midfield and finish with the forward line. So let's do that. The back line was painfully average. May have been a little bit better than last week considering Brennan Cox, a key defender, didn't have 30 disposals. So hey, at least we're improving. Luke Ryan was amazing as always. Like there's, <laughs> there's not really much I can say about Luke Ryan. 
he's almost guaranteed to touch the footy once whenever the ball goes inside our defensive 50. And with the way we're playing at the moment, it's no surprise that he's getting as much as the footy as he is. Alex Pierce's... I wouldn't say he's making me question his captaincy. I'd much rather say he's making me question the quality of the player that he is. Like, he played up against no key forward when we played St. Kilda. And then this week, he comes up against a genuine star, Nick Larky, and gets four goals kicked on him. There's a saying that leaders set by example, and if that's the sort of standard that Pierce is setting to his teammates, it's honestly no surprise why our back six has been as poor as it is this year. But again, similar to last week, our back six was really the only thing that was giving us a chance in the first place. Moving on to the midfield, and that part of our game was just genuinely lost. It felt like everyone in that midfield was sort of playing their own game. They were so out of character and so out of touch from each other that it was actually miraculous. There was zero connection. Sean Darcy and Luke Jackson were dominating the hitouts, which didn't amount anything because the players below them were just so out of touch. Brayshaw was the only consistent driving factor throughout the whole game, but I mean that's Andrew Brayshaw, we've come to expect that now. Our midfielders could not break out of a tackle if they were wrapped around by a piece of string. Caleb Sarong could not hit a target 5 metres out directly in front if his life depended on it. And when that wasn't working, we swapped those midfielders with James Aish and Sam Swakowski, who to be fair, did a far better job than Brody and Sarong. Sarong is getting a lot of the footy, more than arguably last year, but he's starting to become a bit of like Tom Mitchell, where he is getting the footy, he's just not doing anything useful with it. And I really, really do hope that sentence ages poorly, because I absolutely love Caleb Sarong. Will Brody was in La La Land for about 120 minutes. Seriously, I've seen a dropout drunken man have a better sense of direction than what Will Brody did on Saturday. And I'm seriously lost to what Jago Mira actually did outside of those last five minutes. The Kangaroos dominated clearances 30 to 45 and centre clearances 8 to 16. We lacked pace for a huge chunk of the game, which is why I suspect Swikowski and Ace were thrown in the middle. But then again, if Sam Swikowski and James Ace are our best inside midfielders, that is the most alarming red flag to take out of this game. Which brings me to the forward line. This is the Deegs, this is the Dockers forward line part of the episode. Outside of the final five minutes of the game, the performance that our forward line produced was the worst performance that I've seen since the second derby in 2019. AKA the game where we lost by 91 points and the game we kicked two goals 19. Like, seriously, I have never seen such an empty forward line in my life. Frederick looked like the only player who was actually trying to do anything. Lockie Schultz had possibly the most average game I've ever seen him play. Bailey Banfield did a couple of good things. Did Jaiomis play? Like, he was nowhere to be seen. Still did better than Matt Tabiner, though, so I will give him that at least. Which brings me to... Matt Tabiner, oh my god, Matt Tabiner, man. The guy is slower than a snail's funeral. Anytime he goes anywhere near the footy, it's like he's walking barefoot on ice, and he could not win a one-on-one if he was playing an Oz kicker. Literally, the only piece of quality about Matt Tabiner is his goal-kicking accuracy. 
Which, even then, what's the point since he's having, like, no shots at goal anyway? It's honestly incredible just how different Matt Tabata and Nat Fife are. Nat Fife will win any one-on-one any day of the week, yet couldn't kick five metres directly in front. And Tabata could not win a one-on-one if he was playing against the bye, and yet at the same time kick four new metres out on his opposite foot. And Luke, seven-year 900k Jackson. There was a clever comment on the Dockers Instagram full-time post by a good mate of mine in a big group chat that I'm in called Chris Chong, who said, can we please get a refund for false advertisement for Luke Jackson? I literally cannot put it any more perfectly than that. Luke Jackson, a key forward slash ruck, has taken one mark in two rounds and has had a total of seven clangers in said two rounds. And I just want to remind you, he is on reportedly a seven-year deal for 900k. And we gave Melbourne pick 13, our future first round pick, and our future second round pick. We are just two rounds into the new year with Luke Jackson, and it is already a disaster. How have we, as a club, nearly existed in the competition for nearly 30 years and have never once been at the good end of a big trade deal. And what's worse is that the fact that because of Jackson's ability to play ruck and go forward, he, as a result, is getting in the way of Sean Darcy and is restricting his influence on the game. And by the way, I just want to add this on as a side note, but Kane Corn saying that he'll have to find a new home if this continues is just completely ridiculous. It's Sean Darcy. Do not listen to anything that Kane Corn says. Simple as that. So now... Let's move on to the Winners VIP Lounge. Winners winners As I've been rambling on about for basically the entire episode, it was a really tough watch. But regardless, there were a couple of strong performances that stood out. But with that being said, picking the BOG for this week was honestly really tough because I don't think there was anyone on the team that was worthy of a BOG performance. But I've gone with Andrew Brayshaw simply because he was the only player that looked like he cared in the first half and was the only player that really kept us in the contest for the first two quarters, as well as playing a huge role in the Dockers' late comeback. 29 disposals, 7 tackles, 7 inside 50s and 6 score involvements. He just continues to be the only consistent driving force in the midfield. Moving on to the runner-up and... Going into the game, I could have honestly never have picked this man, but from the praise that he got alone by just stepping onto the ground, he was honestly always going to get this part, but it was Michael Walters. The super sunny sub, as we're calling it, did everything that he possibly could for the quarter and a half that he was on the ground, and as sad as the sounds, was honestly our best forward for the match. Two goals, seven disposals, two marks, one tackle, and four score involvements. And he did all of that with just 37% time on ground. There's honestly just nothing more Walters could have possibly done to try and win us that game. And with that sort of performance being the sub, he has to be in the starting 22 this Saturday. Next up is the Frio Hero, and I've ended up picking our late key forward, Jager O'Meara. Jager is nowhere near the height it takes to be a tall forward at just 183 centimeters, yet he was our most threatening key forward when he played there for the last 5 minutes of the game. 21 disposals, 2 goals, 5 marks and 4 clearances. It's going to be an intriguing decision whether the Dockers play him half forward or dead centre in the midfield. 
considering how smashed we were in the midfield by North Melbourne and how lackluster the forward line is. And finally, for the honourable mention, I had Sam Swakowski, who did a fantastic job in the midfield to add some spark late in the game. 15 disposals, a goal, 8 contested possessions, and 8 score involvements. Now, if you've paid even the smallest amount of attention to the episode so far, you would know that I've gone so long without talking about the final few seconds of the game. And it's because I've been saving it for this. Do you understand the damage you've done? Have a good look at yourself! I don't reckon you'll like what you see! You couldn't cost your team the game! You couldn't cost the coach's job! I'm not allowing you to do that sort of stuff! You don't do that! You have to leave! to start with, so you're on thin ice. You had options. You're in front of the goal. Have you heard of a job punt? Don't confuse ambition with ability. And you know what? Just stay out of the forward line. You're done. The Big Digs blow up for this week is going for the umpires in the AFL for not rewarding Fremantle the final free kick of the game in the literal dying second. Luke Davies-Uniak kicks his first goal of the afternoon six minutes left in the game to put North Melbourne up by 20 points. And at the time, and I'm pretty sure most Fremantle fans can agree, I thought the game was over. I thought there was no way Fremantle were going to kick four goals in the final six minutes, especially considering they'd only kicked six so far in an entire game of footy. But then, JL switches a couple of magnets to become more risky and what do you know? It actually ends up working. Jay Gromira is thrown down into the forward line. He takes two marks inside 50 and converts with two goals. Brennan Cox is thrown down into full forward. And he gets on the scoreboard the second, the second he goes down there. Tabernu was there for basically three whole quarters. Doesn't get on the scoreboard once. Amos was down there the whole game. Doesn't even hit the scoreboard. Brennan Cox was down there for one second late in the game, and immediately gets on the scoreboard. It's almost as if putting him down forward is actually a good idea, but what would I know? So, set the scene. The ball is kicked out of the Dockers forward half, deliberately, with about 15 seconds to go. The ball is correctly deemed as deliberate out of bounds, and Jordan Clark is around 55 to 60 meters out, with around 15 seconds to go. Then, he kicks into the corridor where Luke Ryan is, which in of itself is extremely strange. And what makes it even worse is that we probably lost the game by a single second. So the five seconds that Jordan Clark wasted by just kicking to Luke Ryan, as overdramatic as it seems, actually ended up costing us the game. Plus, it's not like Jordan Clark can't kick a long footy. One of his key attributes is that he knows how to kick a long footy. So that seven second decision to kick 15 meters into the corridor to Luke Ryan, makes zero sense, and when you think about it for more than five seconds, consequently cost us the decision to have a free kick. So then, Luke Ryan pumps the ball inside forward 50 to around 15 to 20 meters out. The ball spills at the back, however, Harry Sheasel is there, picks up the footy, slams it on his boot, and the ball flirts with the boundary line and eventually goes over before the siren sounds. The umpires deem the ball deliberately out of bounds, but because the ball was in play as the siren sounded, no free kick was given. And therefore, the kangaroos just hang on by one point. Now, let me quickly clear this up because a lot of people are getting this confused. The decision was not 
was the ball deliberately out of bounds? Because it was. The umpires did actually pay it as deliberately out of bounds. That's not what the controversy is about. The controversy is whether was the ball in play as the siren sounded. Now, the next day after that game, the AFL released a statement. Well, it wasn't even a statement. It was more like a sentence that read, The decision to not pay the free kick was correct since the ball was in play as the siren sounded, followed by a video that showed what the umpires were hearing. And what I found particularly interesting about that video is that when I slowed the footage to try and get a better hearing of when the siren sounded, the ball was in play. So the AFL statement was correct, at least by the video that they showed. And I was ready to sit down and admit that maybe my biasy was getting in the way, and that the AFL, and more importantly, the umpires at the time, made the correct decision. But then, I thought of the idea to double-check my work. So, I watched the last two minutes video by the AFL, and the match highlights that was also posted by the AFL YouTube channel, and did the same thing, slowing the footage down so I could get a better understanding of when the siren sounded, and found out that the result was far different. And that from those two videos, the siren had sounded a good whole second after the ball had been bounced out of bounds. And you also have to consider things like the crowd and commentary getting in the way, and even listening to those videos at full blast with a headset on, which, by the way, do not try, it will burst your eardrums, the siren still sounded when the ball was out of bounds. So I think it's a really big coincidence that the AFL goes out to make a statement and uploads a video that backs up their statement, but in every other source that I could find of the video, it says otherwise. And with that in mind, it's really hard to go back and get a solid replay of it, considering the AFL may have edited that video so it suits their statement. Because the AFL are never going to come out and say that the decision was wrong, because that would lead to more controversy, and if they went out and said the decision was wrong, how would they go about fixing it? I mean, you can't have Ethan Hughes, who was closest to the ball at the time, have a shot after the siren a full three days after the game's already been finished. And also, they always agree with the umpire's decision in like every single controversial call that has happened in the history of the game. Like, I seriously can't remember the last time the AFL went out of their way to say that the umpires were wrong and went out of their way to make a decision that benefits all parties. So look, it's extremely suspicious, but regardless of how in-depth or how much we talk about it, the AFL is never going to change the decision. And even then, we had absolutely no right on winning that game. North Melbourne, without question, were the better side of the day and definitely deserved that win over us. But still, the decision was wrong. Fremantle should have been paid the free kick and Ethan Hughes could have either tied or have won the game for Freo. Which brings me into the brand new segment for this podcast, the Docker Discussion. Basically, how it goes is that I will ask you, the listeners, a question, and you will give me the answer. And for this week's Docker Discussion, I asked, what was worse? The decision on Saturday night to not reward Fremantle a free kick, or the Jack Noon's decision after the siren in 2020? And at 61%, the answer you gave me was Jack Noon's. 
which honestly makes complete sense because on Saturday night, the umpires were awful for both teams. Like seriously, no one genuinely benefited from Saturday's umpiring from both a North Melbourne perspective and a Fremantle perspective. And the controversial decision at the end was only one decision. However, with the Jack Noons call, there was like three consecutive bad decisions that led to Jack Noons having that shot. The deliberate tap out of bounds by Matt Tabiner, followed by the downfield free kick from the bump from Andrew Brayshaw, to Jack Noons being the player to actually take the free kick, considering he was nowhere near the nearest player to the footy. So well done followers, I definitely do agree that the Jack Noons call was by far worse umpiring. And finally, to end this week's episode off, we're going to go over the match preview for the 56th Western Derby. The last few seconds. Great class there, by Money finishes with the footy in his hands. Fremantle get the win and make it three in a row against their cross-town rivals. It is like a derby of old early, but the Dockers do it for day. We're going to kick things off with a new part that we've added into the preview, the list changes. Because I feel like considering how much needs to change at Fremantle right now, there's no better time to add this sort of segment. The first one is that Brennan Cox will be shifted down into the forward line. The idea of Cox moving back into the forward line has been an idea that has been roaming around for the Dockers for a little while now. But with Freo desperately needing a key target, especially taking on West Coast... I feel like now is the perfect time to put Brennan Cox back into the forward line, since we clearly know from his round one performance that he knows how to mark the footy. And that is literally everything that we could want from a key forward right now. One that actually knows how to mark the footy. The next change I would do is bring Walters into the starting 22. Was completely blown away by his performance as the sub, and he is clearly fit enough to be starting back into the 22. The next change I would make is to bring Nathan O'Driscoll into the starting 22. For both Walters and O'Driscoll, I think I'd have to take out Liam Henry and Ethan Hughes. Not because they played awfully, honestly both of them were pretty solid, but I feel like those two are on the pointy edge between being selected in the best 22 or not. So for O'Driscoll and Walters to be put back into the squad, those two would unfortunately have to go out. The final change I would make is that Sean Darcy is the starting ruckman and Jackson, instead of starting mostly in the forward line, starts in the midfield, sort of playing that Reese Stanley, Mark Blitzer sort of role. Just so the Dockers have a big body in the midfield that can get some contested numbers. And also, Luke Jackson cannot mark a footy to save his life. So starting him in the midfield benefits his poor form. My prediction for the BOG, or better known in Western Derby terms as the Glen Adding Medalist, will go to Andrew Brayshaw. The Glenn Adding Medal is more so a midfielder's award, so unless Brennan Cox literally becomes the next Matthew Pavlich, I doubt anyone in the forward line or even the back line can get the sort of stats necessary enough to win this sort of award. And even with a major midfield drop-off to start the season, Andrew Brayshaw, as I've said countless times, continues to be the only consistent driving force, which I think will earn him his first Glenn Adding Medal. My Freeho Hero prediction, and keep this in mind, I'm only considering if this guy's moved up to the forward line, is that Brennan Cox will kick four plus goals. From what we've seen from the midfielders to start the season, those midfielders would have to be practicing their contested work and their kicking efficiency going into this match. So with that mental drive in the midfield, as well as Brennan Cox's amazing ability to mark, 
I think if he's moved down to the forward line, he'll put on quite a show, especially considering that Jeremy McGovern is likely to match up on Matt Tabiner. And finally, for the big call and to end this week's episode, I will say the game will result in a draw. There has yet to be a draw in the entire 55 games that the Fremantle Dockers and the West Coast Eagles have played against each other. And especially considering how weird the season has started so far, the first ever draw in Western Derby history would make things even more strange. So I predict this match will end in the second draw of the season. And with that being said, this finishes up episode 4 of the Big Digs podcast. This may or may not be the last episode for a number of weeks, as I am turning 18 on Friday, and will be going up to Perth to watch the Dockers take on West Coast. Little weird fact about me is that I've gone to six Fremantle Dockers games in my lifetime, and I've never been to a Fremantle game that I have lost. So if the Dockers lose this week, there is genuinely no hope. But I am going to back in the Dockers, and hopefully they can pull off their first win of 2023 for my birthday weekend. But until then, I've been your host as always, and this has been the Big Digs Podcast. Siren! Frio oh, the real deal! Margaret breaks through. Speaking of all time, oh, right? What a goal! How could he see? Jackson ripping out of the air. Action! Jackson! Mark now! Brilliant! Absolutely brilliant! So wrong! So right! For Will Brody. He's launched. He's got it online.